But we never thought we would have three children at once. That was kind of a, a shock to the system. It was amazing. I mean, I would never change anything. We are so, so blessed. But it was also the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. Welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show, where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life. Now let's talk money, mamas. Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan. And mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Leah Hadley, an accredited financial counselor and a certified divorce financial analyst. Leah will tell you she's had a lot of challenging financial times in her adult life, becoming a parent of three overnight, getting divorced and losing her job, and that's just to name a few. These have been times when her ability to hunt down appropriate resources and do careful financial planning was critical to her peace of mind. And since the last year has been so hard on many of us, she's here today to share some of the strategies she's learned to bounce back after a difficult time with all the mamas in our community. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from this conversation with Leah, or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 99 for the complete show notes and to download your free financial emergency preparedness checklist. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Leah, welcome to the Smart Money Mama Show. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited to have you on because you have been following Smart Money Mamas for a while. Tell me about your family. So I have three children. My youngest is eight. My middle one will be 12 this month. And then my oldest is 13. So it's uh, the three kids and I am married to my husband, their bonus dad. (laughs) And then we have the kid's dad very, very involved with the family as well. That's fantastic. And what do you do for work, Leah? So I do a lot of things, but I basically (laughs) help people who are going through a difficult financial time for one reason or another, who are worried and stressed about money to help them get some clarity and really create a path to get them from where they are right now to where they want to be. I'm sure you had a very, very busy 2020 after what we all experienced. What was the most common issue that was coming up for you in 2020 as you worked with clients and followers? It really ran the gamut in 2020. People experienced all kinds of challenges in their financial lives, in their personal lives. I think that anybody who's following the headlines has seen something about divorce rates going up in 2020. It's been a tough year on families to be together a lot, especially if both people are working from home. But then even with sort of navigating how do we handle this pandemic emotionally, personally, and for the family has created a lot of conflict because people are realizing they're not on the same page and they may not have the communication skills developed to get on the same page to deal with these kinds of things. The fantastic thing is one of the things that I do, I'm an accredited financial counselor, and I work with an organization, the AFCPE, who has just tremendous number of resources constantly available, educating other counselors about what programs were out there to support families in 2020, you know, what new funding became available, free counseling programs, all kinds of programs out there to help people. And so for me, 2020 was a lot about figuring out where the need was, what the concern was, and connecting people with the resources that can really support them and help them to relieve some of that financial stress. But it was everything from people losing their job to losing a portion of their income, having hours cut back, having benefits cut back, really a variety of different things, all the way to the other extreme of, hey, all of a sudden, we're saving more money than we were ever saving before. (laughs) Interest rates are so low, I can't get any interest in my savings account. I think I'm ready to get started with investing. And I worked with a lot of new investors even in 2020. So it was a very interesting year. It was a really interesting year. And I think that dichotomy of how people experienced the year, because we saw unemployment rates so high and we saw so many families struggling, but we also saw, you know, new car sales were up, which is crazy because no one was going anywhere. Right. But you had a lot of families who had more money, right? You're not commuting. If you both get to work from home and you're not paying for daycare, all of a sudden now you've got a little bit more cash around, which is a crazy change. But I think for the people who struggled, for a lot of them, it seemed like, 2020 was almost the straw that broke the camel's back where you've been holding on 
by a thread of we're paycheck to paycheck. And then all of a sudden there's any kind of big shock to the system. And now we're super struggling. And so I want to talk about your story because you've had some of your own financial shocks and things. But I first want to ask you, do you ever talk to couples? I talk to couples all the time. I work with couples a lot. I'm just clarifying. (laughs) Okay. How do you guide them when they come into your office and they're just not on the same page and they're feeling super frustrated? What's the first kind of conversation you guide them to have? Yeah. So believe it or not, it's not a numbers conversation. (laughs) The conversation really has to do with why are we here? What is the goal? And making sure that we're all working toward the same goal. Because it's not about my goals. When I'm working with people, it is all about what they want to accomplish. And a lot of times the angst around the financial issues with a couple really have to do with a lack of communication. And so really starting with, let's just talk about why we're here and what we're trying to accomplish. And most of the time, if couples are working with me together, they do want the same thing. They are working toward the same goal. They don't want the finances to be a stress in their relationship. And they're looking for a solution that's really going to support them through even these difficult times. And so it really starts with that high level conversation. And even sometimes we have the conversation initially and it's like, you know what? The two of them realize we have a lot more talking that we need to do before we come back and continue some of this work, which I think is fantastic because the earlier we can recognize that, the easier it is, quite frankly, to really resolve some of those issues. That's such a good point that the people who come into your office together have already done the work, right? It's the it's the people who come in individually and are like, I can't get my partner to come with me. I can't get my partner to engage where we see some real struggle. Exactly. And I am a big proponent. If I'm doing financial planning for a family, I really want both parents to be involved in that conversation. And I really encourage people, even before they hire me to work with me, if one of them contacts me, let me talk to your spouse too. Let's have a conversation. I want them to know that they're really important and that their participation in the process is what's going to help it be successful for the whole family. Absolutely. So we were connecting before we got on that you and I are actually in the same industry years ago at the beginning of our careers. So tell people, what work were you doing before you had kids? Before I had kids, I was an equity research analyst. I covered consumer durables and light industrials for most of my career in equity research. But interestingly enough, I actually started my career very early on, which we didn't talk about, as a teacher. So I was a teacher. I My master's degree is in education. I was laden with student debt. It was really a challenge, and I got burnt out in the classroom very, very quickly. I worked for Baltimore City Public Schools, and it just, you know, I had all the student debt, and I was just completely overwhelmed with it, and I needed a job. Like, I just, I couldn't keep teaching. I was burnt out. I wasn't doing well, and it just so happened to be at an investment bank, obviously not doing equity research. I didn't even know what a balance sheet was when I walked into the investment (laughs) bank. But it was an administrative role. It was a temp job. I had gotten it through a temp agency. And they were in the process of automating their publication system. And so that's where I started, was in the editing and the publishing kind of area of equity research, helping out in that area. And I was so fortunate to just have some incredible mentors in my career, senior analysts that really took me under their wing, adopted me. And then I took a lot of classes on the side along the way, did a lot of exams. It was a a kind of a windy route, but that's how I landed in equity research. So I was on the sell side for my entire time in equity research, which means you're constantly looking for great investment ideas that you're going to share with portfolio managers. and, And so that's what I did, a lot of investment research. For those of you who don't know, the sell side means that you're not actively investing money in your position. You are making recommendations to people who are investing money. And so we call that the buy side. So I went from the sell side where I did equity research in my first job to the buy side where I was at a hedge fund actually managing money. And so those terms, sometimes people don't always know the little jargon. I figured we'd we'd fill it in. As you developed into this role, it sounds like you really evolved and got coaching and you did all the work. How did you choose to leave it, at least for a period of time? Yeah, so we wanted to have children, and we had decided we were going to adopt through the foster care system specifically. And anybody who's gone through the process to become a foster parent, there's a lot. It takes a lot to become a foster parent. And part of that was the education component, getting through all of the classes. When I was in a job where I was traveling all the time, 
was very difficult to just schedule it, get it in, getting all the requirements done. And ultimately, we realized that I wasn't going to be able to be the parent that I wanted to be in that role either. And so it was time to make a change when we were starting that process. And that's where I decided to take all this kind of investment knowledge that I had, the education background I love to teach, and really start supporting individuals and families and reaching their goals. I love it. And I think that education role is so important, right? We tell people all the time, if you want to look and work with a financial advisor or financial counselor, look for someone who wants to answer your questions, right? Who is there to teach you and not just dictate some system that they think is one size fits all if it works for everybody, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And there are some people who that's what they want. They just want to be told what to do. But then I also tell them that I'm not the right person for them. (laughs) You know, so you find the right fit for you and kind of what you need in your life. Absolutely. Okay. So you leave equity research to finish this training and we get to one of the big shocks in your life. Tell us what happened when you adopted your kids. When I adopted my kids. (laughs) So the three of them, I had all of them at once. So they are a biological sibling group. And when we went through the foster care training and the whole home study process, we had thought up to three children at some point we would have. So that's what we got the approval from. But we never thought we would have three children at once. That was kind of a a shock to the system. And so it was amazing. I mean, I would never change anything. We are so blessed. But it was also the hardest thing that I've ever had to go through. And there are like these moments, these just moments where I remember breaking. I mean, really, like it was such an emotionally draining thing to go from no children to three children overnight. And they needed everything, Chelsea. They came, they each had their own little garbage bag that they came with, but that was it. They needed everything. And I remember being in the car on the way to the store and my youngest son, it was two days before his first birthday when he came to our home. So of course he had to have a first birthday party. Oh yeah. (laughs) But they needed everything. And we were talking about the birthday party. We were talking about all these things they need. And it was a pair of shoes that was like, it broke me. We were talking about the shoes and I just started sobbing. And I was like, oh my God, mom, I don't know if I can do this. To go from just kind of managing yourself and being responsible for yourself to these kids who needed needed us emotionally, needed the love, but needed like actual clothes and stuff. It was so overwhelming. But I mean, it did teach me a lot about when people have these huge financial changes in their lives. How do you make it all work? How do you put it all together? Because those are the moments where we're so emotional So we're not thinking with our logical brain. And so then everything just seems bigger than it really is. So how old were your kids when they came to your home? So Christopher was almost one. And then the other two were four and five. Wow. Three toddlers (laughs) all at once. I've got two toddlers and I'm like, I can't imagine the shock. And so how did you handle that? You said it taught you a lot about adjusting and working through these very emotional times. Yeah. What did you do? Really, the biggest thing that I kind of help people with before we even look at the numbers is taking the emotion out of it. And really, like, let's deal with these emotions. Like, we really need to get clear-headed to talk about what changes need to be made and what adjustments need to be made. Ultimately, I had some job changes while I had my kids young. But really, I decided for me, being in control of my income was very, very important to me. And it was through a job loss that I realized as a mom, first of all, when you have young children, it's hard to find the right fit for a position because I had made a lot of progress in my career. I had fantastic skills, but I didn't want to be in a job that I was going to be a slave to the job and not be able to have the time for my family. I just really couldn't find something that fit for me. And so part of that really was going out on my own, establishing my own business and being in control of my income and my time. And that allowed me to really be able to do the things I wanted to do while my kids were young. Obviously, the last year has been an anomaly, but otherwise, going on the field trips. I love going on the field trips with the kids, you know, going to the PTA meeting. I was always very involved with the PTA, especially when they were younger. Being able to do those things was really important to me, but it meant really getting clear on what did we need for the family, what adjustments needed to be made, and really reflecting regularly. And I think that's a piece where that can often get lost in the shuffle, but when you're having huge changes in your life, it's so important to just stay on top of things 
because you're getting used to a new reality. And so where when it was just me and my husband years ago, we could set our budget for the year and like really forget it. I mean, we had our plan for the year. This is what the expectation was. And things didn't veer off terribly, right? When you have kids, stuff just comes up. Things break that you don't expect to break. Like you have less control over the expense side. And so really staying on top of how have our expenses changed and what adjustments do we need to make to income to be able to still reach our goals? I'm a huge believer that we are in control of our income. And so that's always a piece that we're looking at is not just the expense side and kind of making adjustments there, But what can we do to increase our income if that's something that we need to do, again, to reach our goals? Because it all comes back to what we're trying to accomplish. Now, for most households, one new baby is a financial shock, right? And I think one of the biggest overwhelming things is what do we need? Because we are inundated with marketing that tells us we need like 10,000 things to take care of our kids. And so how did you budget and plan for and decide what you actually needed as you brought three kids into your life? (laughs) So we needed as little as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And I stand by that to this day, because with three children, what you quickly find is, oh my goodness, do you end up with so much stuff? Oh, yes. stuff. (laughs) Initially, when you have your expenses go up that much in that short period of time, it's about pinching pennies. I mean, it is about being super frugal and really getting by with what you can. And there was no like, we're not getting extra of this, extra of that. Now, the other thing though, when you have an experience like that, and even if you think about like baby showers, your community really wants to support you. They want to help see you be okay. So people from our church donated clothes to us that some of them would fit the kids right away. Some of them would fit in the future. We belong to foster adopt support groups. And lots of people having different experiences with kids and exchanging stuff between the families and things like that. So again, really looking for what resources were out there and then figuring out, well, what do we actually need? So there's the piece of figuring it all out and big picture, right? But then like, let's get into, yeah, he really does need a new pair of shoes. And I very quickly realized that you don't want to go cheap on the shoes because those will not last like five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with boys. Yeah, especially with boys. And my oldest, he would always drag his toes of his shoes. Oh. Killing me, kid. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, but really allowing people to help. People do want to help. And I hear this from people all the time when they're reaching out to me, they're saying, I should have done this. I should have done that. They keep hearing all these messages about what they, quote, should be doing. And I always tell them, you're at this moment in time. This is where we're at right now. Let's just let go of any of these shoulds. And let's really focus on this moment. Get clear in this moment. And let's create a plan for how to best move forward. It doesn't matter what you could have done, what you would have done, what you should have done. All of that is in the past. And I am so blessed to have my mom. I mean, really, really fortunate. I hear people with difficult family relationships all the time who I'm working with. But for me, she's that person who's like, Leah, you can do this. Like, we can get through this. She's that person who I have her voice in my head being like, all right, this is hard, but it's like, it's hard in this moment and we're going to figure it out and we're going to do it, right? And I appreciate and am honored when people put me in that role because I feel so fortunate to have that person in my life who does that for me. And I can do that for my clients because sometimes you just need to hear that it's okay. Like wherever you're at right now, it's okay. Yeah. And we mentioned at the top of the episode how divorce rates were going up in 2020. And any of these shocks, financial shocks, big family changes, they can cause strain on relationships. So can you tell us how did you and your husband work through this period of time? Yes. So ultimately, we did get divorced. We adopted the kids. We did end up getting divorced. We realized that we did not parent well together. We are better friends now than we ever were (laughs) when we were married, quite frankly. (laughs) That's great. But it's been uh, an active, it's actively happened. So it it wasn't something that I was just going to give up and say, the first year after our divorce was horrible. And I tell people that because I think it gives them hope, quite frankly, that we had that horrible experience. We were very, there was a lot of anger between us. And now we are very much on the same page and parent very well together. But that first year and a half, two years, especially when you're going through the foster care system to adopt, it's a long time before you can actually adopt. 
And so you have the different social workers coming in and out of your house all the time. And the kids were getting a lot of therapy support. We went into counseling for ourselves. I'm a huge proponent of marriage counseling, whether it can help you Like if there's an issue that needs to be resolved to save a marriage, that's one thing. But then the other piece of it is being able to communicate with one another, whether you're in a tough situation in your marriage or you just want to enhance it, improve it, that communication. Marriage counseling is so beneficial. And it's not about, quote, saving marriages. So I have a lot of people who come to me who are looking for support through the divorce and they're saying, hey, we tried marriage counseling, it didn't work. Well, if you improved your communication skills, I would argue that it maybe did work. It may not have saved your marriage, but I don't know that that's the right solution for every marriage. But it was huge for my ex-husband and I to go through that process and develop those communication skills that we can then apply as co-parents. But that was that was really important. Also, again, surrounding ourselves with people who were supporting us. So when you go from zero to three overnight, even when you just have a baby, right, you need time off, you need those breaks, you need somebody to um, step in when you are just at your wits end and you can't do anymore. And we just had such amazing support around us. That's a fantastic thing. And so as you made the transition from a two income household to a one income household, what financial changes did you make as through that process? So you have a financial background, so you're much more aware, I think, than most people, but maybe guide through what you did so that other people who are going through the situation right now know what they should do. Yeah. So don't do what I did because I didn't prepare very well. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> okay, I take it back. <laughs> well, it's hard because at the end of the day, we had no idea when we would have kids. And in starting my own business, I really didn't know what to expect from an income perspective when I would start to really generate money. So it was hard to say. I mean, the things that I did know and that helped me tremendously, I mentioned before, I had always set an annual budget. I was very fortunate to have a mom who showed me how to create a budget for myself. So I always knew exactly what my income and expenses were. That's the first step of it really is knowing what your financial picture is, because then you can play out any adjustments. So I do a lot of work with my clients on scenario analysis, like we're talking about, hey, what happens if I move across the country or what happens if I make this job change or how does that actually play out into our overall financial plan and our overall goals? But it's the same thing when your expenses are are going to increase. You're looking at, let's say, a lot of people upgrade their house, right? They get into a bigger house. We're going to look at how are the utilities costs going to change? How are these things going to change? And so for me, I always have it like literally instantly at my fingertips because I do a full year cash flow spreadsheet every year that I've done. (laughs) I can't, I've done it for a lot of years now. I don't want to, I think I can look a little bit younger than I am. So I'm not going to say, hold on to that. (laughs) Exactly. But it's so easy now because when you do the process, you literally copy the spreadsheet from the year before. And you have this like fantastic starting point that then you're just making adjustments. And so it's really thinking things through though. And I don't know that I had the skill set back then that I do now to really think about, well, what are kids going to cost and when are the expenses going to happen? And I remember several years of summertime being very, very difficult because I hadn't planned for the costs of camps and things like that, that we plan to use, which can be big expenses if you don't plan for them. It was just getting in the habit though of doing it. But like I said before, when you have a big change like that, I couldn't do it annually. I was back to doing it weekly. Like when I very first started updating my numbers every single week and saying, okay, really what what was our grocery bill this week? And is that what it's going to be going forward? And if so, I can project that out and see like, hey, ah, we're not going to have enough income to cover this. We need to change the grocery store we use, which those are the kinds of things that we did is really get very serious about making adjustments, shopping for clothes in different places than we shop for clothes when we had significantly more income and lower expenses, shopping at a different place for groceries, really looking at where we had control and discretion over our expenses, where could we make adjustments? And that's a great word, control. And I think that a lot of us have a lot more choice and a lot more control than we acknowledge. I think we feel out of, especially when you're going through a big shock, we feel a little bit powerless. And I think going through and figuring out just what you said, where do you have control makes the process easier. 
Now, Leah, you had your own career as you went through your divorce, but you've helped many women who have been stay-at-home moms financially plan through the divorce process, and I want to dive into your advice for them. But before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our partners who help make the Smart Money Mama show possible. Mamas, it's almost spring cleaning time, so I want to share my favorite place to buy natural cleaning and personal care products and other household essentials. It's called Grove Collaborative. Every month, we receive an order of bamboo toilet paper, cleaning products we need to restock, the kids' toothpaste and shampoo, and more, right to our doorstep, all at competitive prices. But Grove isn't my favorite just for the convenience and their great products. Grove is a values-focused company. They're actually a B Corp, which means they have to meet standards on social and environmental impact that only provides products that have met their standards for non-toxicity, effectiveness, and sustainability. And of course, everything is cruelty-free. Plus, Grove is moving beyond plastic, an initiative that my family greatly values. Today, Grove is already plastic neutral. For every ounce of plastic they sell, they collect and recycle an ounce. The company has removed 3.7 million pounds of plastic from waterways since January 2020. Incredible. But by 2025, they'll actually be 100% plastic free. If you want to use quality household products that are good for your family and good for the earth, I highly recommend you check out Grove. You can get a free gift with your first order at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Grove today. Oh, one last thing. You can also see which products were created by women-owned businesses and businesses owned by people of color if you want to further align your purchases with your values. Ah, incredible. Head to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Grove to check it out. Now, Leah, you wrote a book about going through divorce for stay-at-home moms. And so I'm very curious what your advice is for women in that position, because you had your own business, you had a a long track record. And I think this situation gets much more stressful when you're facing, now I've got to go back to work. Now I've got to really think about my finances. So if you are a parent who's facing that, what do you do first? Great question, Chelsea. And I wrote this book to serve a very important need that I felt like was out there. So I work with a lot of stay-at-home moms who have been in marriages that were less than what they deserved. They were very unhappy for a very long, or they've been very unhappy for a very long time. They've not been treated well. For a lot of reasons, they had fear, though, around the financial piece and feeling like they didn't have another option, that they were staying in these relationships that they, in many cases, and I've heard from a lot of my clients, they knew weren't even the best situation for their children, but they just didn't know how to get out of it. The very first step, and this is like, again, it's not a numbers thing, but it's opening your mind to the fact that there can be a better option for you. If somebody finds themselves in a space where their relationship is very negative, it's really taking a toll on their self-esteem, there's abuse going on, there are other options. And it may feel, especially if you're in a situation where you have been beaten down over time and told, I can't tell you how many of my clients get that message, you can't manage money, you don't know what you're doing, things like that. First of all, (laughs) I will just get on my soapbox for a second and say, just because you've delegated money management to your spouse does not mean they're doing a good job. (laughs) So let's be very clear about that. And I can't tell you how many divorces I handle where that is what we learn when we're going through that process, unfortunately, is that those responsibilities were not handled well. And that can be a very difficult time to find out. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're in a situation where you're not being treated right, Don't let the financial fear hold you back. There are lots and lots and lots of options. And it really starts with opening your mind up to the possibility. Because once we can kind of start to open our minds up and think about, well, what could life look like? And believe it or not, it really can be better for your kids. Like I can tell you from my own experience with the arguing that was going on in our house, my kids are much better off now with us co-parenting and not living together than they were when we were together, right? So it's okay for your kids to go through this. Many kids are going through it, and it's about how you as the parents handle it, what their experience is going to be. It's not necessarily about dissolving the relationship to begin with. That's not the determining factor. It's really how you deal with it. But I know so many stay-at-home moms who are so committed to their kids, and they just feel like they don't want to put their kids through that. But if they see that mom is taking good care of herself and she's healthy and she's doing what she needs to do, 
that's so much more important than them staying in the home with their two parents. That's so much more important. I totally agree. But what do we do from a financial perspective, right? Because Mm -hmm. we are facing having to earn an income, going back to work or starting a business. How do we start to decide what we want to do even? So these are great questions. And honestly, there's a fantastic coach that I've started referring some of my clients to, to answer that very question. But it really is about creating a vision for kind of your next phase of your life. I mean, it's even to the point, and some people embrace it more than others. But if you think about when you're first graduating from high school, you're first graduating from college, you're kind of open to what the world could be for you, right? You're starting to kind of create your own future, your own reality. And I know this sounds weird for somebody who's facing something like some people, it's the D word. It's like this awful, awful thing. But what if it's not? Like, what if we just shift that idea of focusing so much on kind of what we're grieving and what we're losing and really think about, well, what could this mean for me? What could this mean for me? What could this mean for my family? So I'm all about creative settlements when it comes to settling finances as it relates to divorce. And if you can come up with those things that are important to you, let's say, for example, you, I'm just using a somebody I'm thinking of, who wanted to become a nurse. Like she was a stay-at-home mom. She loved taking care of people. She had a child with special needs that had exposed her to a lot of different experiences in the healthcare setting. And she decided she really wanted to be a nurse. So we looked at, all right, let's look at your settlement here. What are we talking about? Because believe it or not, when somebody has to pay spousal support, a lot of times they're much more willing to do that and even do it more generously if they're truly helping the other person transition into a career in which that will allow them to take care of themselves from an income perspective, right? So looking at how can we settle this to reach that goal? And maybe that means a little bit more spousal support or alimony in the early years. So you do have that time and space to educate yourself and go into the workforce. Or maybe there are other assets that you can take to support that initiative. But really thinking through whatever those goals are for you, what that is going to look like, what's going to make you happy, what's going to help you to feel fulfilled, and to ultimately create an income for your family. I'm not a big advocate for just relying on the spouse post-divorce. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I will say the biggest one is all of the post-decree issues that I see coming up. So financial planning, Chelsea, you know, it's a lot about risk management, right? (laughs) There's huge risk in relying on somebody else for your income. And so really taking control there and saying, you know what, how am I going to support myself and my family going forward? But also acknowledging that if you've made the choice to be a stay-at-home mom and you're really putting your kids first, I imagine that's something really, really important to you. We are so fortunate in this day and age to be able to do so much to work from home. If there's any blessing that came out of the pandemic, right? So many more remote opportunities for people to be able to have more time with their family. So you don't have these big commutes back and forth to work. Even if you need additional support in your home to help out with the kids, at least you still get to see them more and spend more time than if you're out of the office and or, you know, the nurse, she was in a hospital setting, things like that. So there's a lot to think about, but I think there are a lot of opportunities to really look at what your goals are. If your goal and your priority is to spend time with your kids, you can find ways to do that and still earn an income. I love that idea of opening yourself up to opportunities. It's actually been a really beautiful thing we've seen in the Motivated Mama Society, which is our monthly membership community. We have a lot of people who come in newly divorced or going through a separation and really wanting to take control of their finances, really want to design that life that they want because they're now, their life has has had gone through a big change and they get to reimagine what things are going to look like. So it's always nice to see them come in and grow and save towards those goals and start new careers. It's very fulfilling for me to watch. And that is awesome that they're becoming members of your community during that time because it's so hard to go it on your own and to find that kind of support that's going to help you develop your financial literacy, to cheer you on. That's so critical. So we've talked a bunch about divorce, but as we mentioned towards the top of the show, 2020 has caused a lot of people to go through different types of financial shocks. And so let's talk for a little while towards the end of this episode about what do we do coming into 2021? We have all these people who are saying, you know, life is at least 
leveled out, even if we're not back to work, you know, the pandemic's still happening, but we're coming into the new year with, it's going to be different. We're going to do things differently. And so walk us through what advice you have for people that are recovering from everything that happened last year. The first thing is to really get very clear on what your current situation is. So a lot of times we get really comfortable, especially in our financial situation, if we're depending on certain income, our expenses become pretty repetitive and we can get pretty comfortable. But that also sometimes means that we kind of lose the pulse. And if there has been a significant drop in income or change in benefits, a lot of people aren't seeing the change in benefits actually until 2021, right? Because they were adjusted at open enrollment. And there still are a lot of changes happening from that perspective. So getting really clear on where you're at right now. And part of that is getting clear on what you should have from a cash reserve standpoint. So one other, I guess, positive that came out of the pandemic last year, all the changes that we saw is I've had years of clients pushing back on this idea of emergency savings. Hey, I have a credit card that I can use in case of emergency, or, you know, I can always take a line of credit on my house, or, you know, I hear all kinds of things that people don't have a variety of reasons for not building up their emergency savings. And I'm sure sometimes the goal just feels like it's a daunting prospect. But if 2020 taught us something, it was that there are a lot of things that are out of our control. And so what we can look at in terms of creating a strong financial foundation for ourselves, so that way we don't have those tough months or years, is one of the the pillars of that is having a strong cash reserve. And people are more open to that conversation I'm seeing than really ever in my career. And so really getting clear on what does that look like for you? And when we talk about what that looks like, I really get into what does it look like for you? So for me, I'm an entrepreneur, I need more emergency savings than somebody who is a federal government employee, right? Like my income is just going to go, it's just going to be so much more variable. And so having that strong foundation in place is really important. So looking at, okay, what happened in 2020 with my income? Did my employer cut back? Does that mean that I actually need more cash reserves than I thought I did? And if so, getting really clear on what does that look like for my family so that way we can build that into goals. So it does start with getting clear on what your current situation is, acknowledging that, yeah, in fact, it may have changed. Benefits may be costing more. I may have lost my 401k match or a portion of it. All of these things are happening. But then what kind of adjustments do I need to still reach my goals? Yeah, there are a lot of things that are out of your control, but there are a lot of things that are in your control. So looking at, does that mean that I need to make any adjustments to my insurance? Life insurance had a huge year last year, right? Yes, (laughs) they were very busy. Exactly. But, you know, is my family protected? If something were to happen to me, is my family protected? Do I have the right kinds of insurance in place? What about disability insurance, especially when I'm working with people on family planning? We're always looking at, okay, well, what does that look like when you actually have the child? What does that transition look like? And what is income? What does that mean for income, right? And usually disability insurance is going to play a big role in that conversation. So it's really that strong financial foundation, what that means for you and your family. It may have changed based on the changes that we saw last year based on adjustments to income and getting really real with yourself about what those changes are. I know there's a coach that I follow who has these money personality types and she talks about delusional Dan and delusional Dan is the one who, yeah, he's just not in touch, right? With where the numbers are. But a lot of us have those moments of putting our head in the sand, especially when things get tight or difficult And we just kind of want it to go away. But getting very clear on how those changes have happened and not putting your head in the sand, that's really step one. Let's pause for one second, though, because I want to mention we sounded a little flippant about life insurance. And I want to make clear to everybody, we meant new people buying policies. Obviously, the tragedy of the pandemic and losing so many Americans last year was they were also busy on the other side. But I think both Leah and I meant we have both been telling people for a very long time to go get life insurance. And last year was the year that 
lots of people actually went and did it, which is a good thing. But I just didn't want people to be like, are they laughing about all of the Americans that I'm have passed? I'm so uh, glad you clarified that, Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, okay, let's clarify. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing about it. It's like we have these moments in time um, where suddenly financial advice makes sense, I guess. Yeah, for all of these years of making sure people had appropriate coverage in place and like people just kicking that can <laughs> and not necessarily wanting to get it taken care of, just like with the emergency fund, maybe not really truly understanding how that can help your family in a difficult situation. But then when you have those experiences and really the loss of life is one that it really does open people's eyes to the need for insurance during a very difficult time in people's lives. And so I'm so glad that you made that point because that is really important. Absolutely. And the emergency fund is a good one too. As much as it's been a hard year and we've had our shocks, it has been so long since the Great Recession and we've been in this bull market for 13 years now. In 2008, there were all those people who thought their emergency funds could be lines of credit, could be credit cards. And all of a sudden, you saw banks clamp down on those accounts and people who thought they had big lines, home equity lines of credit on their house, the bank actually can lower that limit very quickly. And so lots of people lost liquidity that they thought they had. And so we saw the importance of cash, but our memories are kind of short. And so we kept the cash for a while, but the longer we had a positive market, we get back into that headspace of, oh, we don't actually need cash. And now we see, again, we do. There's a reason we keep saying this. And so those moments where financial advice makes sense, um, that's a great point. Absolutely. So the second piece is getting clear on your goals again. So we want to get clear on where we are right now, but I'm a big believer in those SMART goals. So being very specific, very measurable, I want dates associated with everything. And sometimes that does mean that if you've gone through a major life change, those goals need to be adjusted. Sometimes they need to be adjusted because they're no longer realistic. Sometimes they need to be adjusted because they don't fit. So one of the things that I really saw over the last year was for families that were home together, really recognizing that we want to spend time together. We want to do things that we enjoy together. We want to enjoy our home. And so a lot of people were looking at how do we make our home into a space where if we're going to be in it so much, we really can enjoy that space. And so maybe that means that vacation goal actually becomes a home renovation goal, right? And that becomes a higher priority on the list of things that you want to accomplish. But any big change that you have in your life, it is time to just take a step back and look at, do we need to make some adjustments for our targets? And then based on where you are right now, and those adjustments that you might be making, what does that new plan look like? And really getting crystal clear on what is that roadmap. So that roadmap can always change. I always tell people when I work with them that I look at financial planning as a dynamic process, that you're going to have changes in your life. We're going to make adjustments based on those changes. That's just part of it. But having that roadmap, if I go back to my own experience of adopting the kids, that allows it to be easier because I know what changes need to be made in order to be comfortable, to be able to be sustainable. But if I didn't have my roadmap, then I'm kind of starting from scratch in a very difficult time, especially that's the hardest time to be doing it. Absolutely. And so some people go through this process, right? They redo their goals and then they realize they don't have a lot of wiggle room in their budget. They, they don't have the income to have a lot of space. And so you mentioned earlier that you believe we are all in control of our income. And so what do you think that means and how do we take control of our income? So there's a couple of pieces to that. One, there's the fact that we're in control of our income. And there's two, sometimes we have to restructure our finances. And I have the difficult conversation with people all the time about, especially if they're coming to me, they're going through a divorce, only one person's going to stay in the house, or maybe they're going to sell the house. Can I actually afford to stay in this house? That's a big question I help people answer all the time. And a lot of times the answer is no. And so sometimes we have to look at our expenses and see, we may need to make a serious adjustment, a change to our lifestyle, and be very realistic about that. And I know that those are very hard conversations that I have with people, but I also know that it sets them up for years and years of success. So there's two pieces of it. It's one is let's just really look at where do we have control on the variable expenses? But then let's get really serious about butchering those fixed expenses. Like, let's just bring them down if need be. But then on the income piece, so there's so many ways to take control of your income. I am in a fortunate situation where when I'm doing financial planning with somebody, I can see what they're getting paid and I can tell them, hey, 
you need to ask for more money. (laughs) In some cases, we have to have those conversations and they may or may not want to follow through on it, but I can tell them relative to other people that I'm working with how they're getting paid and if their compensation is aligned with the role that they're in. So that's a piece of it. And a lot of times I've had the best messages that I've gotten from clients, Chelsea, that are like, hey, you gave me the confidence to go for that you know, next promotion or to ask for more income because I'm already doing the work that I've earned it. But then the other one, looking at other sources of income. Some of my clients, we set their investments up so they're getting income. And sometimes people who are newer to investing don't even realize that they can do that. It's not necessarily all about growing your retirement accounts. But you can use your investments as a way to supplement your income if you need to. Services, lots of different services you can offer now with everything being virtual, but adding in some kind of a service that is something that can supplement your income is is a great way to do that. But even getting serious about looking at your career path and saying, you know what, if I stay on this career path from an income standpoint, am I going to be where I want to be? And if not, it might not be a change that you're going to make tomorrow. But looking at, well, what do I need to do to get on a career path where I am going to be where I want to be and getting really serious about that. So I really think there's lots of different ways to take control of your income. Sometimes people think it means, you know, starting your own business. Not necessarily. It could be like looking for a new job within your existing organization. It could be looking outside of your organization. It can be beefing up your skills. So that way you're worth more and it can be, you know, adding other services or things like that. But there's a lot of different ways to do it. Absolutely. We have so many options now. And I think that it's hard with time and we have to prioritize our time the same way we do our money, right? And make sure that we're not taking on too many side hustles and then draining ourselves from our main job, I think is something that we need to be aware of. But we do have a lot of options even within our current jobs to increase our income or even just increase our benefits, right? We had Claire Wasserman from Ladies Get Paid on the podcast earlier this year talking about just that of like, they might say there's no more salary money, but there might be money for other things for a few more vacation days or a different type of benefit that can ease your budget as well. Absolutely. Even just those who are working from home more and seeing, you know, maybe it's their transportation costs going down, parking, things like that can really, especially for some of you, I know have some very long commutes (laughs) and just giving you more time back in your day to even if it's just a couple days a week from home. Absolutely. Leah, any last pieces of advice for mamas in 2021? I would say if I could just reiterate that wherever you're at right now, it's just a moment in time. And really making these financial decisions is about taking the emotion out of it. So there's none of that. I should be, I would have, I could have, none of that. Like just take whatever you're facing right now at this moment in time and look forward. It's really one of the best things that you can do for yourself. That's fantastic. Leah, before you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. The sorting hat is our version of the hot seat where we ask the magical hat to reveal something about you. Are you ready? I'm ready. What was your kid's favorite children's book? Oh, it was the Mama Llama books, all of them. (laughs) Oh, they're so good. (laughs) They are so good. And then my youngest now, it's Pig the Pug, which are hilarious. Do you know Pig the Pug? I don't know Pig the Pug. Uh, Well, you have to have a humor for them, but they are very funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Are they short storybooks or chapter books? Yeah, picture books. Okay, we'll have to look that up. Leah, where can people follow you and learn more about your work? Thank you for asking. I am on Instagram under Watch Her Thrive. And I do have a free Facebook group, Watch Her Thrive as well. So those are probably the best places to find me. Fantastic. Mamas, we'll have the links for that in the show notes. Leah, thank you so much for joining us today. Chelsea, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Mamas, can you imagine becoming a mom to three kiddos, all of whom have almost nothing overnight? What a beautiful gift and a major shock. I so appreciate Leah sharing her story with us and how they made it through that time and their subsequent struggles. We're all going to face financial setbacks or unexpected shocks to our system. Sometimes the work we've done on our finances up until that point, or let's be honest, the privilege that we've had, makes us more ready to handle those shocks. And sometimes it doesn't. Either way, all we can do is learn how to recenter, make a plan, and start taking small steps towards recovery and the life we want. 
As always, I wrapped up my top three takeaways from this conversation with Leah for anyone recovering from a financial setback. First, navigating financial shocks is emotional. Please acknowledge it. If we try to act like it's just numbers and push down our emotion, we're more likely to make impaired decisions. Address the emotion, be honest about how you're feeling, and give yourself the space to make as clear a decision as possible. For those handling loss and grief in difficult times, please check out episode 97 with Nora McInerney because we talk specifically about how grief brain is a thing and we don't always make the best financial decisions when we're in the middle of it. Acknowledge the emotion, ask for help when you need it, and know that you're not gonna get everything right. Don't try to be perfect, just try to take the best steps possible in the moment. Second, Open communication is crucial. I don't know how many episodes we've had on this podcast where this is a takeaway, but open communication is so important, especially when we're going through shocks to our system and our lives. Whether that's talking to your ex, if you're going through a divorce like Leah was and making sure that you have the best communication skills possible to become co-parents and to get through this as healthy as possible. Whether that's knowing how to ask for help and leaning on our friends, being willing to be open and honest and not trying to do it all ourselves and be superheroes is so important to be able to reach our goals, to be able to not get overwhelmed and to go back to that first step to not end up making emotional decisions. Sometimes leaning on somebody in our circle can help us see where we're maybe making a impulse decision or a grief decision because things are overwhelming in the moment. Have open communication with the people in your life, trust them and get the help that you need. And finally, third, give yourself permission to dream. When we're in these shock moments, when things are overturned, when we really feel like our plan just isn't working out, or we feel like we're struggling to know what's going to happen tomorrow or next week, we shut down sometimes that dreaming, that what could our lives look like? Okay, things are different, but could it actually be better? So give yourself that space and permission to dream. When we go into the Motivated Mama Society, we talk about how do you want to feel, what are your values, and then rebuilding that life dream. I think that's really important because often, even when we're not going through shock, we've forgotten how to start from scratch, how to really build a dream no matter where we're starting and then make a plan to get there. And so take these moments of upheaval as an opportunity to really reset and really figure out what you want because you are worthy of a healthy, thriving life that brings you so much joy. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Leah again for coming on the show, sharing her story, and all her advice to help families recover from difficult financial times. You can find links to Leah's website, Great Lakes Divorce Financial Solutions, and her social media channels, which are at Watch Her Thrive at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash 99. Difficult times happen to all of us. It doesn't mean we can't rise and build the lives we most want. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time. <laughs>